0: very much. Can I invite you to turn to God's word now? We're returning to our studies in the life of Moses, and this morning we're going to be looking at the uh, first 17 verses of Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 to 17. We shall read them now. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, It was leprous like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servants. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, "O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother, Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. And I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. And it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. Let's pray. Father, as we come again to your word, we pray that uh, by your spirit you will instruct us and encourage us and stir us up to be servants. In the hand of God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. uh, I'm sure some of you will have heard of the great American evangelist of the 19th century, D.L. Moody. If you do know anything about D.L. Moody, you'll know that he was the master of short, sharp, catchy sayings. I'm sure if Twitter had been around in the 19th century, D.L. Moody would have made great use of it. But uh, I came across uh, this comment of D.L. Moody about Moses. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was a somebody, then 40 years learning that he was a nobody, and then 40 years seeing what God can do with a somebody who realizes they are a nobody good that isn't it and that's how God works time and time again let me just take you back a little bit to chapter 3 and verse 12 remind you that we are on the mountain of the Lord Moses is meeting with God in the burning bush and God says to him I will be with you. I will be with you. And this is going to be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That, in a nutshell, is the story of the Exodus. The great God, the great I am, commissions Moses. And promises that he will be with Moses. He will bring his people out of slavery so that they can come and worship the true God on that mountain. That is the story of the Exodus. And this morning we're going to go back and re-emphasize some of the uh, important lessons that we introduced some weeks ago when we opened up our motto text for this year. Basically, what we were saying then and what we repeat today is that no matter how weak we feel, how how insignificant we may consider ourselves to be, God reassures us of his strength and of his presence with us. Let's just think of Moses for a moment. What an extraordinary character he is. What an extraordinary start to his life that we looked at. He was saved from Pharaoh's genocide. At birth, he was adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter. He was brought up by his own mother, who was paid for the privilege of bringing up her own child. He was smuggled into the Egyptian court under Pharaoh's own nose. And this Israelite became the prince of Egypt. And then in chapter 2, verse 11, Moses breaks cover he defends one of his own Hebrew kinsmen. He rescues that Hebrew slave who was being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. Moses killed the slave master. And Moses hopes that the people of Israel, the Hebrews, will suddenly rally round, get behind him, and perhaps engage in a revolutionary act. But sadly, the Israelites don't get on board with Moses. In fact, they say to him, who on earth made you to be a ruler over us? A good question. What gives you, Moses, the right to have authority over us and tell us what to do? Poor old Moses really doesn't have an answer to that, answer to that. Verse fifteen Moses, uh, Pharaoh gets wind of what's been going on, realizes that Moses is in fact a murderous traitor, and Moses becomes Egypt's most wanted man. He has to flee the country. And for the next forty years, he is out there in the wilderness looking after his father in law's. Sheep. Put yourself in Moses shoes just for a moment. I wonder what he thought. What a waste of time. What future do I have now? What a way to end my existence? God has a bit of a sense of humor, doesn't he? Certainly emerges in this particular passage because here's a fascinating thing. When does God use Moses to save his people? Does he take Moses at the very height of his powers and of his political influence there as the prince of Egypt? No. God doesn't use a 40 year old Moses. He uses an 80-year-old, Moses. Irene, we're not too old at 75. (laughs) The mission organization may think you are, but even you and I, facing retirement, still have work to do. Aged 80, Moses is fed up. He's leading these sheep around in the wilderness. And so you can probably understand his immense reluctance. Can't you? Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm no good at all this stuff, God. You saw what happened last time. It was a disaster. This job is not for me. I'm a no good, no hope OAP. Just let me retire gracefully to a nice bungalow in Macclesfield." Find someone else. <laughs> Moses is full of self doubt. What does Moses need? Well, I think if you and I, as I said last time, were in God's position, we probably say to Moses, get a grip. Pull yourself together. You can get it if you really want. But you must try, try, try. Try and try, you'll succeed at last. If you don't recognize those, they're the lyrics of a song by Jimmy Clift. Aren't you impressed that I know that? I wouldn't have known it if I hadn't looked on the internet this morning. But you see what God is doing. He's not trying to fill Moses with self-confidence. He's trying to fill Moses with God confidence by saying to him, don't worry, I will be with you. He doesn't say to Moses, don't do yourself down. You're brilliant. You've got what it takes. God says something vastly different. He says, it's not a question, Moses, of who you are. It's a question of who I am. Get this, Moses. Moses. I will be with you. Maybe at this time you're being led to be encouraged to get more involved in the life of the church. You're being invited to take on greater responsibilities. As we prepare for an interregnum, there will be many people, as indeed there are now, who are going to be stepping up into greater responsibilities it's happening at leadership level it's happening at grassroots level and it's great to see it's wonderful to see people saying I will help out I will do the things that need to be done but you know maybe you're sitting there thinking who am I to step up to the mark who am I to step up into that daunting task that is being offered to me Let me say again, that is not the question. That is not the question. The question is, who is God? Well, by the time we get to chapter 4 and verse 1, Moses still has his doubts. He says to God, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? Oh, Moses. Have you forgotten what God has just said? Chapter 3, verse 18. God said to Moses, very clearly, the elders of Israel will listen to you. And there is Moses saying, but what if they don't listen to me? Isn't it ironic that Moses is accusing the elders of the Israelites As possibly having no belief. And there is Moses expressing his own disbelief in what God has said will happen. You know, the problem with Moses at this stage of his life is that he needs some kind of proof. He needs some kind of proof that God can influence the minds of the elders of Israel. Moses needs signs. Why? Because still at this stage of his life, he's walking by sight and not by faith. And so, graciously, God gives Moses three signs that will authenticate his ministry. Three miraculous signs to perform which will cause the Israelites to sit up and listen. These signs that we're going to look at in a moment are not clever party tricks. They're actually miraculous, meaningful, significant messages. And we'll unpack that now. What do these signs signify? Well, let's look at the first one. The serpent staff. In verses 2 to 3 here, the Lord draws attention to Moses' staff, commands him to throw it on the ground, and as he does so, it turns into a snake, into a serpent, and Moses runs from it in fear. could well be a deadly snake. And then God says to Moses, put out your hand, grab it by the tail. He obeys, and when he does, the snake turns back into snake. The staff must have have taken a great deal of courage, wasn't it, to grab the snake by the tail? He'd run from it in fear. Now he's being told by God to go and pick it up. And that was really putting his faith to the test. What's going to happen when I grab that snake? God didn't tell him what would happen. He just told him to grab it by the tail. Well, what does that all mean? Well, the staff, you know, that's not just simply a walking stick for this poor old 80-year-old, precursor to his Zimmer frame. This is the staff, this is the rod that he used in his daily job as a shepherd. He used it to exercise control over the sheep and to protect them. It would become a symbol of power, authority, leadership, control. And the serpent was also a very important symbol, particularly in Egypt. It became the symbol of the Pharaoh. As you can see, that uh, cast, whatever it is, on the right-hand side there, on the head, it features the serpent, the snake. It was part of their whole makeup, their whole religion. So we can begin to hear the significance of this sign. It's not just a cool miracle. There is meaning behind it. Moses' staff signifies God's authority. The authority of God which is going to be directly uh, directed particularly at the Pharaoh. The serpent staff will demonstrate that God possesses sovereignty over Pharaoh and over the gods of Egypt. So that's the first sign. The second sign was the leprous hand. God tells Moses to put his hand inside his cloak. When he takes it out, it's white, full of leprosy. God says, put it back in again. It comes out and it's restored to as it should have been. Leprosy is a word which is used to signify a variety of skin diseases in the Old Testament and indeed in the New Testament. Leprosy was considered in those days, probably was, incurable. It was a living death, a disease that was often seen as a curse, as a punishment inflicted by angry gods. And the fact that this incurable disease of the gods was instantly cured signifies, again, the power of God working through Moses over life and death. Third sign. If those two don't work, God says, well, try this one. Get some water, take it from the Nile, pour it on the ground, And the water will become blood on the dry grounds. Now, the Nile was vitally important to Egypt. It made life possible in Egypt. It was the reason for their prosperity, reason for their wealth, their power. Every year, as the Nile flooded, it deposited several feet of rich, black, fertile soil on a normally dry land, which made farming and agriculture possible and productive. There would be very little water available in Egypt except from the Nile. And a river of blood would be a sentence of death. You can't cook with it. You can't drink it. You can't water your crops with it or bathe in it. Life would be devastating. And so again, you can understand the meaning of the sign. God is sovereign over life And death over the great life giving, life sustaining river of Egypt. So, what's the point of these three signs? What's the big idea? Simply this the God of the Israelites is the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. All these signs speak as a witness to the fact that God has spoken. He has called Moses. He will be with Moses. And God will work through Moses. Well, that's all very interesting. But you're saying, I'm not a Hebrew slave in Egypt. So what does that mean for us today? Has God given us signs? To assure us that he has appeared, that he does reign over all the forces of evil, that he will be with us in all circumstances, and that he can and he will strengthen us. Have we got a sign? Yes. Of course we have. And that sign is the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. In Matthew chapter 12, the scribes and the Pharisees told Jesus, Lord, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. He's condemning them for needing a sign instead of hearing the word of faith that he was proclaiming, the word with faith that he was proclaiming. But notice that the sign he says that will be given to them is this. The only sign that you have is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then in John chapter 2, the Jews were asking for a sign, and Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Again, speaking of his death and resurrection, the ultimate sign that God has given us that he will be with us, that he will empower us, that he will strengthen us, is this. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. That proves that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. And you know, that sign has a remarkable connection with these signs that were given to Moses, don't, don't they? Moses' signs all deal with the sovereignty, the power of God over life and death. And what greater sign of God's sovereignty over life and death and the fact that he raised Jesus from the dead. The sign that Jesus Christ is God of gods, King of kings, and Lord of lords, that he can, that he has, and that he will deliver us from all our enemies, is his resurrection from the dead. to Moses with these three signs to authenticate his ministry you'd think that Moses' mind would be put at ease wouldn't you (laughs) no chance verse 10 Moses said to the Lord Lord I've never been eloquent neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant I am slow of speech and tongue." he's still trying to get out of this what does God do verse 11 he says to him Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Moses, I gave you your mouth. And all those incredible organs of speech. And If I can do that, surely I can put words in that mouth that I have created. God is not trying to give Moses self-confidence. He's trying to give him God confidence. But Moses still doesn't get it. Oh Lord, he says, verse 13, please send someone else to do it. I think if I'd been in God's position, I'd have been tearing my hair out at this stage. Frustration. Come on, Moses. Listen to what I'm saying. We know God is slow to anger, but you know, even God's patience can be tested at times. And here is one of those times we're told that God's anger burned against Moses. But despite that, he doesn't strike him down there and then. He carries on with this dialogue. He says, okay. What about your brother, Aaron? I know he can speak. You might not be eloquent, but I've heard him. He's really got the gift of the gab. He's going to come along. He's going to join you. And you'll tell him what's got to happen. You will put words in his mouth. And he will be your mouthpiece. I will help both of you speak. And I will teach you both what to do. You see, God is answering Moses not by trying to instill self-confidence, but by trying to instill God-confidence. I will help you to do what I'm asking you to do. Let me quickly just go back to Moses' staff for a minute. In a very deep, very real sense, Moses is going to be just like that staff, in his hand the staff by itself was nothing it's just a piece of wood inanimate and yet through that staff miracles are going to happen that's how that passage that we read ends take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it we were to jump ahead into the remainder of the story. What will we discover? Well, we'll discover that it was using that staff that the plagues of Egypt fell upon the nation. It was through that staff raised over the waters of the Red Sea that the waters parted. It was that staff that struck the rock out of which water Flowed. Why? Because it was a wonderful supernatural staff? Special? No. It was just an ordinary piece of wood. Nothing to do with the staff, but everything to do with the eternal God, the great I Am, who would use that staff. That staff would be in the hand of a somewhat reluctant Moses who was looking for self confidence. But with God, it would perform miraculous signs. And Moses is just like that staff, he's just an ordinary guy. For 40 years, he'd just been an ordinary, lowly shepherd. But he's going to lead the people of God out of slavery with mighty acts, not because he's a fantastic guy, a special person. No. He's going to do that because the great I am, the great God, is going to be with him. If God can use a stick to unleash the powers of heaven, he can use an octogenarian shepherd to defeat the most powerful man in the world. And he can use us. Maybe there are things that God is calling you to do. Maybe you're daunted by those new tasks, those new initiatives that are facing you as an individual and you as a church, and you're asking the same question that Moses was asking, who on earth am I to do that? Well, let me tell you, it's a simple message. It's the message that God tried to put across to Moses. Your weaknesses are not that important. And neither are your strengths either. What is important is that Jesus Christ, the great I am, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's the one who can help you. Look away from yourself, look away from your weaknesses, look away from your strengths, look to the great I am. We began with a quote from D.L. Moody, here's another one. I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do, by the grace of God, I will do memorize that and put it into practice let's pray Father I thank you for your words to your people this morning we thank you for the encouragement that it is we all feel weak None of us that is ever called to any task in the service of God feels that they are up to it. But we thank you that just as you can take a staff, just as you can take uh, an unconfident Moses, you can take a weak and helpless me and use me in the service of your kingdom. Lord, will you embolden us to the challenges that lie ahead as we commit ourselves afresh to your will and to your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.